0: Hi, everybody! Welcome to this episode of Introspectional. I am so, so excited about today's episode because we have some really incredible guests. Often on the show, we talk about both positive and negative representation that happens on our screens. Specifically, we often talk about the writers who is in the room, who's not in the room, whose stories are getting told, and whose are not. And so I'm absolutely honored that today I get to talk to some actual writers who have been in the room, whose voices not only have been used to make the lovely things that we see sometimes on a weekly basis or on our huge screens but who are also a part of an organization focused on encouraging diversity equity inclusion and justice in the writer's room itself so thank you so much for joining me and could you all introduce yourselves to the people starting with 12
1: Sure. My name is Tawal Panyakosits. I got my start uh, co-creating, writing, producing a comedy series for the CDW called Life After First Failure. And I'm currently in development on a feature and working on some TV projects. And also prior to writing, I was a bit of a rabble-rouser, kind of community political organizer for um, racial justice, LGBTQ, LGBTQ, uh, IA Plus Equality, Immigrant Rights, and so that's kind of my short spiel.
0: Awesome, thank you. And Shireen?
2: Hi, I am Shireen Razak. Usually you will see me on screen as Y Shireen Razak, the Y, I'm not going to tell you what it stands for. You have to guess. I am currently a co-executive producer on a show on NBC called New Amsterdam. This is, I think, my seventh show for the most part. I am a lover of sci-fi fantasy so uh, a lot of the projects that i worked on before new amsterdam that's what the focus was and it's totally my wheelhouse before i became a writer i was in advertising on the media planning side of things so uh, a lot of research a lot of numbers a lot of nielsen data so it was a nice segue into the going from the business side of things to the creative side of things for me
0: and finally barbara
3: Hi, I'm Barbara Friend, a she, her pronouns. I'm a TV drama writer. I have come up in strictly the Shondaland camp. If Meredith Grey exists on the television program, I have worked on it. I started as an intern on private practice, and then I was a researcher at Grey's Anatomy for a number of seasons, and most recently a a writer on Station 19. So yeah, I guess a little bit the researching role I had on Grey's has really sparked my interest in representation and and sort of what we're putting on screen. And and I'm really grateful to to be able to continue that work with uh, the think tank.
0: Awesome. And thank you. That's a perfect segue. So what exactly is the think tank for inclusion and equality?
2: So it's not such a mouthful. We just call it Thai. (laughs) So Thai is basically a consortium of working TV writers that is working towards increasing inclusion in TV writers rooms, improving working conditions for all TV writers, but especially those from underrepresented communities. And also a very big part of our work is advancing authentic storytelling. So trying to transform the industry into a place where writers and stories from all backgrounds can thrive.
0: That's amazing. And what inspired you to, I guess, in your case, create the organization and, and inspired everyone to be a part of it?
2: I think when you transition into Hollywood and you hear all these things before you come here, that Hollywood is this incredible liberal place with all kinds of forward thinking, very progressive. But when you actually get into Hollywood, it's not as progressive as you think it is. And after being on a few shows and seeing what the barriers were for a lot of underrepresented writers. And, you know, a lot of us at that time, because I've been doing this for over a decade now. So back then, most of the underrepresented writers knew each other because there were so few of us. (laughs) And we all had the same stories. It was all the same anecdotes about the same barriers that we were experiencing, the same issues in the room, same problematic storytelling. But all of us were being told, oh, that just happened to you, or that was just an anomaly. But we were hearing it so much that it was, we just realized we needed data. And so a few years ago, Color of Change put out a report called Race in the Writer's Room. And we basically modeled our report off of that to be intersectional. So when we talk about underrepresented writers, we mean BIPOC, women, LGBTQIA+, and um, disabled writers. And this year will be our third report. Yeah. Our third report that comes out about inclusion in the writer's room and in the development process.
0: Wow. What I'm hearing is, you know, one thing that I feel happens, especially when you're dealing with whatever is in your workplace, there sometimes can be a tendency of this gaslighting of like, Oh, it didn't really happen. Or are you sure? Or was that really? And having to fight that struggle in one instance, but also being able to talk to other people and be like, oh, wait, that happened to you too? It's this thing of, I can talk to someone and that breaks this idea that I myself might be delusional or, you know, might be off. So it's good to have that connection, but it's kind of sad that you need to be validated in that way to believe your eyes. You know, it's kind of like, are you going to believe your lying eyes? And you're like, yes, because they're telling (laughs) you the truth. Thank you very much. So 12, Barbara, what inspired you to join this organization?
1: I mean, just shortly in response to that, I think we are just talking about organizing also, right? I think individually we are less powerful, but when we come together, there's so much more we can achieve. And these issues and problems are so large that it really does take all hands on deck. I think for me, because I had been an activist in a former life, I think I was... Coming to Hollywood with, you know, I think one, I just, I always loved writing. So I wanted to pursue my passion, but I did have a little bit of an agenda and wanting to put stories out there that I think showed people who are rarely seen and to make people like myself and others feel less alone when watching things on screen. And a lot of that was informed out of my activism where we'd spent so much time working on policy and on laws. And they are effective up until a certain point, but the lived experience wasn't changing. You know, queer kids are still getting kicked out of their homes, police brutality. I mean, there's so much that is about culture and not just the laws. And it felt like that needed to change as well. And so coming to Hollywood, that was some of the impetus. But lo and behold, in surprise as Shereen said, like Hollywood is not immune to all these things that the rest of the country and world is grappling with, which you know, probably shouldn't have come as a surprise. And so I think that really underscored the need to continue doing the organizing and activism work.
3: And for me, I'm still pretty early in my career, so I wasn't really clued into sort of the larger systemic issues of Hollywood. I mean, I knew what it meant to be an assistant, but as a writer, I thought, oh, everything gets better once you're a writer, you know, and I, that obviously we have proven is not true. But for me, i Had such a frustration being in these writers' rooms where people just didn't seem to care about getting stories right, and like Tawala is saying, this is these are things that really matter that impact culture, that impact people's minds, hearts, beliefs, and just like over and over, I felt like I was saying, don't you care about this? Don't you care about this? Don't you care about this? And a lot of times the answer was not really. So what inspired me to join was I was asked to join a tie, but like, it's so inspiring to be here because these are people who do care that, that we're getting things right and are trying to push that needle forward on representation and also on just inclusion and equity for, for real people, real writers, not, not just the stories we're telling, even though I think both are of equal importance.
0: Mm, That's interesting. Like this idea that there are some people in the room who, I mean, of course it's a job. So of course you want to check, but to like not care that you're not getting the story right like as a writer myself I'm just like huh, how do you know <laughs> and Shereen, I share a love of sci-fi and fantasy with you and I'm like how can you not care about the exact precipitation in this particular area like that's <laughs> fundamental and when we create worlds what are you talking about <laughs> oh so that's that's interesting. And that actually goes into my next question. specifically, and you've already somewhat touched on this, Barbara. What role do you feel that equity, inclusion, diversity, justice play in the writer's room in general, but also in your personal writing process?
3: So for me, like I I know that I'm probably not the person who's best equipped to tell every single story. You know, I, I don't have everyone's lived experiences. I am who I am and, and maybe I don't have the best insight into every single story, but what I can do is just try my hardest where I can, when I can to include underrepresented stories and fight stereotypes and and expand storylines about people we've seen portrayed only one way over and over and over again. So for me personally, that's just a passion of mine. And it's not just underrepresented communities, it could be underrepresented ideas, concepts like I obviously worked in a medical show for a long time. And how do we advocate for ourselves as patients? Like that's a very interesting thing that we don't talk about enough. And I think, I just think you can advocate for the truth and authenticity in myriad of ways. So that's a passion for me. And in the writer's room, I just want people to care, you know, and that's why I think inclusion and equity is important in the writer's room. I think it's important for all of us to just sometimes say, hold on, like let's really stop and think are we hiring the best people? Are we giving everyone a fair shot? Are we telling the best stories? Are we seeing this from all angles? So I think we have to bring that mindset just to slow down and really think about what we're doing before we just put something on TV and stream it into millions of homes. That's kind of my personal goal, a vendetta, I don't know what the word is, but yeah, who you're hiring matters, how you treat people matters, all in this culture that we're, that we're building in writer's rooms.
2: I just want to say that I want to see Barb on a personal vendetta. I don't think I, 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 I Barb is is the the sweetest person on the planet. And I can't imagine her with a vendetta.
3: Rage simmers below the surface. <laughs> I mean,
0: isn't that the case with most writers? It's like there are so many characters and stories and things in here that it just nah, it needs to come out. Uh,
2: but, rage sure and insecurity below the surface. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that speaks to the the personal process. Like, we all have our issues, right, that we've got to work through. But I also think by virtue of whatever underrepresented community you're from, that our very existence is political, is, is revolutionary. And so in the writing process, whenever we bring any sort of specificity or personality to that, I think it becomes diversity, inclusion, and equity, whether we wanted to or not sometimes, and I think we should just, you know, own it and appreciate it, and I think kind of on a larger level, it's not just about kind of inclusion for political correctness sake, and, you know, I think it really is also about dimensionalizing our characters and stories and, and showing things we haven't seen before, right, because that's going to make better story and more interesting story than perhaps the same derivative of stuff we see all the time.
2: And I'm gonna steal something that I've heard Barb say in the past because of her background <laughs> in, as a researcher. And you know, when we're working on shows like the Shondaland medical shows or the medical show that I work on, we spend so much time researching and making sure we get the medical stuff right. But shows are not as interested in researching and spending the time to get the cultural stuff right. And that is something that we are really pushing for with Ty, Barb actually heads up this incredible project. We call them the fact sheets, but the full title, and help me if I get this wrong, Barb, it's hashtag right inclusion, tips for accurate representation. Basically what it is, we do one fact sheet per community to talk about the harmful stereotypes that Hollywood has been perpetuating for decades and better stories that we can tell about all these communities because Even as I've been working on them, I've learned so much about things that have been ingrained in my brain about certain communities through watching TV, watching films. And it's kind of insidious when you think about it. Like Hollywood, I don't think is meaning to do it. I think it's just that So many people have been brought up on the same sort of media. They have the same sort of preconceptions about certain communities that they just keep telling those same stories rather than thinking about the responsibility that they have to dismantle harmful stereotypes, dismantle the hate in our society, (laughs) because a lot of what's happening in our country right now is a direct result of pop culture brainwashing, conditioning
1: yeah and I also just to you back and kind of go back to something i said earlier so often people say like oh we don't want to have an agenda here we don't want to get political but the reality is regardless of what you're putting out there you have an agenda you're being political you're either reinforcing the status quo or you're providing an alternative right so it's just like Everyone has an opinion. So I think it's important to kind of recognize that and own it and take advantage of the opportunity here to, to tell stories and connect with each other and the larger world.
0: I'm thinking of kind of two instances here. One, the idea of like the wild west, if you will, and how it sits in the public imagination and how the majority of those cowboys that people think about are usually like white dudes and their big hats and whatever, which actually wasn't what it was. That's based on like 1950s television when they were doing westerns all the time because they were cheaply made. So you have this perception of this era that is not accurate to the actual time since there were so many Black, Indigenous, Mexican people actually out there doing, you know, women doing the cattle ranching in the building and the this and that and the other. But those stories don't get told. But what does get told is a very specific story that is not about... Uh, direct reference in research but it's about this concept which was put into a billions of homes so I'm, I'm thinking about that i'm also thinking about you know spider-man with great power comes greater responsibility and i don't know if there's some writers who don't see the amount of power that they have and thus don't understand the responsibility or some who just don't care or that the power isn't anything I don't know I'm hearing all of you talk about putting these messages into millions of homes and the cultural brainwashing and all of that and I wonder if there's some writers who are like I'm not in the brainwashing business I'm in the paying my mortgage business and here's my script that I did in two days like I I don't know if that's the reality but I'm hearing some of that
3: (laughs) I think you know it's exactly that because I think TV and film is cool, right? What we do is absolutely a blast, but I think white people like me have never had to examine like what impact we have when we move through the world, so they don't think the stories I put on TV, that has impact too. I think we are having to relearn and dismantle, like Shereen was saying, white supremacy, essentially in ourselves and in our stories and in our industry. But again, I was always just frustrated when people didn't or don't seem to want to get these stories right. When I was at Grey's Anatomy, I worked with Dr. Zoanne Clack, who is a writer, executive producer, but she was also an emergency room physician for a number of years. And she says, I reach more people with one episode of television than I did my entire career as a doctor. She calls it edutainment, right? Mm -hmm. And as as soon as I heard that, I'm like, how can you not? want to use that platform for good and and she has a public health masters as well i'm like zoe you know this is we this is public health tv is public health and i'm not just saying for medical storylines but like how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us it's life and death and i'm not exaggerating if the fact sheet project has taught us anything when we look at these communities we're representing i mean when we paint muslims as terrorists that leads to hate death violence abuse when we paint women as objects death, violence, abuse, I mean, it's a real thing. Hello, I don't wanna scream it too much, but it's there. And hopefully more people are are seeing that.
2: It's true, because I think a lot of what's taught, I mean, this goes back to film school or just how you teach dramatic writing, anything like that. So much of it is, well, this is gonna be the most dramatic thing. This is where the conflict comes from. And it's like, you can find different ways to create conflict. You can find different ways to drive the drama. And also to go back to something that Tawal said earlier, the notion that what our backgrounds are inform who we are and motivate us in many different ways. When we whitewash characters, it basically it, when we have a, an underrepresented actor playing a character that just sounds white, it doesn't help the situation. And in fact, in a lot of ways, it hurts the situation because if, for example, what's going on with all the Asian hate right now, so many Asian characters on TV are very much whitewashed. And so people that don't have a lot of contact with the Asian community, they think that's what Asian is or that's what Asian American is. And so when they come in contact with somebody that doesn't fit that, then they're like, what is wrong with you? as opposed to what is wrong with the depiction on TV.
0: It makes me think of also how we don't necessarily always understand how much what we see and absorb affects the way that we interact with other people and how we perceive them. Personally, just thinking about my background, I was born in New York City, you know, so that's a very diverse area. And I was actually also raised in Columbia, Maryland, which for all of its super suburbanite life was also ridiculously diverse. And so having that lived experience, I know personally allow me to be like, this is what's on screen. I think this is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> because I had a life experience to compare it to. But when you don't have that life experience to compare it to, yes. then, you know, that's all the information that you're getting about a certain set of people or a faith, a religion, a background, whatever it may be. And that can be very harmful especially if you end up in some position of power, which can be as small as being a teacher or as large as being a politician. By the way, it's influential. Yeah.
1: We often talk about how, you know, we all don't know what we don't know, and that's okay, but I think it's about kind of leaning into that discomfort and acknowledging that there are things we need to learn about each other, and as saying, not just the kind of medical technicalities, but also, like, the cultural kind of specificity.
0: And I'm thinking just when we're seeing things on screen as fans and as, you know, people who just love media because media is fun. With social media, I feel like there's a much closer relationship between writers, fans, executive producers than there was 10, even 20 years ago. You know, I personally was always a super fan, you know, fan fiction writer. That's what I did in my middle school years. And the idea that I could have any contact with someone who was actually making TV when I was in middle school it was like, how, what? No, I think I can do one fan letter and maybe they'll get it and like laugh and never talk to me again. And that's what I expect, but that's okay. I just want them to know that I love them, which is way different than I feel like the relationship between you know, fans and, and writers today where like, nah, you could have a conversation with that person as the episode that they wrote airs. Which is just completely different. So, what effect do you think that has had on the writers' room, particularly with fans who are calling for more diversity and this and authenticity in storylines, and also conversely, some of the loud backlash that can happen as well? I don't want politics in my sports show.
3: It's supposed to be about baseball. Anyway. I I will say, like writers are on social media so we see it we do i think how every writer's room responds to it is is differently and each writer is different whether they choose to engage or not but i I would just say for fans i say speak up you know and i think there are ways to speak up that might get you a little further on your goal than other ways you know but i have seen in rooms i couldn't even think of an example where our show was was called out and we tried to do better but writers pay attention when other shows are called out, right? Like, I remember when Barrier Gaze sort of happened, that was like a big trending thing on social media after the episode of The 100. And like, it was so weird to me because I was one of the only queer people in the room and I had been saying stuff about representation and people didn't seem locked in. But then when this other conversation about another show was going on and it just became, it wasn't just about The 100, it was about, 20 years of shows and seeing gays brutalized, murdered, or like especially BIPOC characters and things like that. So it was just like, oh, now we're paying attention. And it made the room stop, right? And and say, oh, should we? And it was just, I think it was just like a patient story that week, it wasn't like a major character or anything, but they're like, oh, we said this character's gay, maybe we shouldn't kill them. And, and it, it's not like we were murdering them. This was a sick patient in a hospital, but it still made our writer's room for the first time be kind of like aware of the impact they could have with a story like this. And so that was when I had remembered. And then also this isn't even about storylines, but you know, there was a conversation maybe like two years ago about the need for black hairdressers for black actors, right? Like just the violence that it, it is when you have someone touching your hair and they don't know what they're doing with it. And it's just awful. And one of my showrunners, I guess she had just happened to catch this piece of conversation on Twitter and it completely changed how she staffed her show with the people she hired and put on set. So speak up because whether or not you're calling out a show directly or a writer just happens to catch a larger conversation, I think it can definitely have an impact.
2: I would echo speak up because don't assume that the writers know. Like what Barbara was saying about black hairdressers for black actors, don't assume that the people running those shows know that that's an issue. <laughs> I mean, that in and of itself is sad, but it is true. A lot of people don't know that something is an issue unless they're called out on it. And I can say that, for example, the 100 writers didn't know that that was an issue when they killed off that character. But boy, how do do they know it's an issue now? (laughs) The amount of backlash that came with that. Social media is such a great way for audiences to hold Hollywood accountable, because back when it was like Vampire Diaries and a lot of YA type stuff, it was all about who is shipping who, and who who do I want to get together with who? And there's still plenty of that on, on social media. And writers, for the most part, we will read that and be heartened that these relationships are speaking to the fans. But the thing that I really love, I will say, is when fans get involved in the politics of it. Because people who think that politics isn't part of Hollywood, politics isn't part of storytelling, they aren't paying attention. It's like, I don't want politics on my TV. Everything that is on TV is political because it's all about what is society taking in? What are they thinking? How are they reacting to it? And I think the protests last year really woke up Hollywood in a big way. There's a lot of stuff happening to start to dismantle things, but it's a slow process. It's a slow process and we're getting there. And I think that the fans on social media need to keep saying, I want better, I want better, I want better and call out specific things of, this is wrong about my community or women shouldn't be portrayed like this anymore. What is wrong with you? I think it's a really great tool.
1: Yeah, I would just add, everything can be fun and entertaining, but it doesn't stop us from also putting some good out into the world. I mean, Hollywood is not alone in in struggling with these issues and problems. These are systemic issues that have persisted in our country since the get-go and, you know, global issues. And so, of course, it's going to take time and fans are as much a part of this ecosystem as any of us and earlier we talked about kind of all hands on deck it does really require all of us at the different junctures that we participate in this system to to do our part and to help lift this boulder up the hill that's
0: incredible and i think it's very heartening you know the idea that we as people who are perceiving media also have a somewhat of responsibility to critique it and look at it. Because yes, we of course want to be entertained, but we also live in the society that we are co-creating together. And sometimes I feel like we notice as fans, some characters might be seem like they're treating being a little poorly or something might happen. And then like years later, 10, 20 years later, it comes out that the actor was mistreated on set or was having issues with the executive producer. Just like these things happen. So when fans feel like they might be picking up on something or whatever, like, should they be concerned? Is this something that is like, kind of typical of the ebb and flow of a storyline that like, okay, maybe we should wait it out to see if this comes out on the other side and we're not seeing things correctly. Like, what is that moment where we're like, Ugh, this person just keeps on getting hurt a lot. I, I guess I'm curious, like, are we seeing what we think we're seeing or are we not?
2: I think it really depends on the show. And it's always gonna be mm-hmm. hard to know what's going on behind the scenes. I would say if fans perceive a marginalization of a character, absolutely speak up. It could be a a symptom of something going on behind the scenes, or it could be a symptom of just of the storytelling, of the makeup of the room. Because if the room, for example, is an all-white room, and the lead characters are primarily people from underrepresented communities, you're going to start seeing stories that don't reflect those communities, by and large. And fans should speak up. And at a certain point, when fans speak up, the press will be like, so what is going on behind the scenes? Who is in that writer's room? And then you'll see a picture (laughs) and things will change.
0: Or you'll conspicuously not see a picture.
2: (laughs) The other thing that I would say is that also, even if there are underrepresented writers in the room, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have the power I think fans need to remember that the final say for all these scripts that go to production, the final say is with the showrunner, the studio, and the network. For example, if you see my name on a script, or Twal's name on a script, or Barb's name on a script, and something that the audience perceives as offensive is in that script, please don't assume that we did it. (laughs) Because we might have actually been pushing against it but we didn't have the final say. And that's true on every show.
1: Just to uh, chime in that that's also a big structural issue. You know, I think there have been a lot of efforts to increase representation and bring in underrepresented writers. But too often, it's in the lower ranks where in TV rooms, which are often hierarchical, you don't have agency or power to impact story. You're supposed to be the idea machine the the yes person who's kind of constantly generating but not necessarily critiquing the story and that's not the expectation or the role of of those lower level writers but when you're underrepresented sometimes you're being brought in to do that and that's a tension that a lot of us have to struggle with as well.
3: Toal pretty much said it better than I could ever have but as much as you can when you're speaking up speak to power because I think like Shireen is saying so many of us on like the lower levels which is unfortunately where a lot of underrepresented writers are. Our name gets stuck on stuff that we really ended up writing not a single word of. And I do think we're often in the rooms trying our best, but it just doesn't happen. I also think when you speak up, you know, like even speaking in support of actors, like you're saying, if characters seem like they're being marginalized, sometimes like actors just need that support too, because sometimes they can actually go to a showrunner and say, yeah, why have I gotten six episodes in a row where I'm just the token sidekick? To have enough people sort of in their corner saying, hey, this isn't right. Sometimes it gives actors enough of support or, I don't know, courage to be like, yeah, something is going on. And actors can really, they can kind of change things with the showrunner, even if a room full of writers can't get it changed. If an actor is saying, I, I don't want to play this storyline. I mean, that's a really real conversation that needs to happen, whereas an underrepresented writer lower level might not be able to have that conversation with the showrunner.
0: I I appreciate your candor about this, just kind of lifting the veil a little bit because I know for me and I'm sure for you know people listening, it's really fascinating. And you mentioned briefly the fact sheets and the work that Ty is doing. So Um, I'm curious, what are some of the results you've seen from the work that you've done? Are writers using your cheat sheets? And I know you have the different events that you're doing. So how have attendance been at your discussions?
3: People are using them. And we have these numbers. It's like 10,000 site visits to the fact sheets and like they're in 100 writers rooms or whatever. But to me, my favorite sort of feedback we get is, I just shared this with my writers room today. And it stopped us from telling a stereotypical storyline about like a Latinx character, or we've been trying to tell a storyline about a young black girl. And this actually helped us like break out of the conversation we were having. Like we were having a very narrow conversation and now we're opening it up to an expansive story which unfortunately might be as expansive as just show her having fun, you know, s- show joy. Like, like that's kind of where we're at with these conversations, but to me, I think the fact sheets are, for me, about harm reduction first and foremost. Like, can we stop the bad stories that we're telling? And so to hear even one writer's room say, it did help us stop a bad storyline from getting through like that, the fact sheet's like already done its job to me. But yeah, it's so exciting to hear from writers Uh, A lot of times it's still like underrepresented writers or lower level writers saying like, oh yes, we love these. And we're hoping to get more of those sort of showrunners to attend the panels and things like that. But I think the movement is there and it's with the lower levels and those are going to be the showrunners very soon. So that's very exciting. I think they care. I think it's a good group.
1: Yeah. And I think Barbara's is being humble. There's impacting way more than that one person in the room. I mean, I think there are countless stories like that. And the fact sheets are kind of in circulation at like almost every single major studio network platform. So that's been beyond our wildest expectations for sure in terms of the engagement on the fact sheets. And, you know, we've been doing this work now for three years now. And one of the Our kind of objectives from the start was to keep these issues at the forefront as much as we could because too often it felt like, you know, whenever diversity was the buzzword, that's when Hollywood cared. And then, you know, back to businesses as usual afterwards. And so that's also part of the reason we do our annual report, which sometimes has very similar data from the year before and the year before that. But it's because. If we really want to see change and progress, we have to pay attention to see how we're doing. The only way we can see we're doing better is we pay attention to how we're doing. And it's been very exciting to see that these issues have persisted. I don't think we can necessarily take All responsibility because the world is messed up, and there's lots of stuff that's contextually also keeping the pressure on. And we've done our best to try and leverage that as positively as we can to keep the ball moving forward. And the reception has just been fantastic, both in terms of the fact sheets, the reports, the workshops. So yeah, I think there's so much more work to be done than what we can all do, but we're doing our best.
3: Yeah, and I do want to highlight to Wall. You know, he's talking about the report. Yes, we're talking about on screen representation, but this really starts from real writers in real rooms being talked over, not listened to, mistreated. Like our report found 10% of writers are fired when they speak up about stereotypical storylines or try to pitch against stereotypical storylines. Like it's almost 70% of them experience at least a microaggression or, or some sort of like combativeness in the room when they try to pitch non-stereotypical storylines. So these are both, people- Quote,
1: push back <laughs> pushback.
3: Pushback, yeah, they get pushback, which could be really, really bad, honestly. You could be ostracized. You could be left out of a room entirely just for saying, hey, please don't pr- depict my community like this. And these are people speaking from their real experiences. So like Tawala is saying, it's an ecosystem because not only is it who we're putting on screen, but it's usually representative of someone in the room who is- equally being mistreated and the two just go hand in hand. So the better we can make it on screen, the better it will be off screen and vice versa.
2: What Twal often reminds me, he has to remind me this frequently, is that this is a marathon, not a sprint, because there are plenty of times that I'll go off on a rage rant and he'll pull me back. And the thing that I am optimistic about is that there are a lot more conversations, a lot more sustained conversations about these issues since the protests last year and everything else that is, every, it's like the protests sparked something, as it was like, oh my God, Black people are being mistreated in this country? Yeah, really? It's new. <laughs> that was new information for a lot of people. But <laughs> I mean, and again, it's like, stop Asian hate. Oh, Asian people are being mistreated in this country? New information for a lot of people. But it sparked something that was very necessary. It sparked the conversation that is making studios and networks really start to take this responsibility that we have more seriously. And I make the distinction between diversity and inclusion. To me, diversity is about hiring. It's like, how many people did you hire? Inclusion is when you actually listen to them. And so I think we're starting to do much better in diversity. We still got a long ways to go in inclusion. And that is a lot of the work that Ty is focusing on as we're moving forward. Awesome.
0: And and you're actually reminding me my bachelor's degree is actually in screenwriting so like went to film school ish and as anyone who's gone to any type of film school knows film school folks can be just jerks you know and i say that in the most loving way since i've met some people that i absolutely adore doing this work but some of them can be jerks and i know when i was thinking of like do i want to pursue this as a career part of my thought process was do I want to sp- voluntarily spend my time with these type of people for the rest of my life? Am I volunteering to be abused if I pursue what I want to do? And it's this very interesting dynamic that seems to continue. Cause Shreen, you mentioned kind of like how we start, like with these film schools, how we say what's acceptable behavior or not does affect if these people are on this meteoric rise, the rooms that they create and the environments that they create, you know, so there's that trajectory too seems to be something worth investigating.
2: Those are the numbers that we would love to have, but we don't know exactly how to find them. Anecdotally, we all know the rate of attrition for underrepresented writers is incredibly high. For all of these reasons that you're talking about, the amount of abuse, the barriers to career advancement, and just how exhausting it is to be in a room day in and day out and constantly internalizing all the microaggressions that are coming at you. Me personally, I can name so many people that have just left the business because they just, they just couldn't take it anymore. Some of the abuse is worse for some people than others. And I would say the underrepresented writers that stay in have to develop the thickest skin possible in order to make it through. That or you drink a lot or <laughs> you have you are in a, a lot of therapy. And one of We're the all things, three. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ty, therapy alcohol. God.
2: <laughs> and one of the things that tie is in addition to all the work that we do, we are a support group for each other. And, and it is something that underrepresented writers need. Desperately is just a support group for the stuff that you were talking about, Letitia, It's the gaslighting, <laughs> first and foremost, just being validated that yes, that actually did happen.
1: I think one way of crystallizing kind of the attrition piece, our fellow co-chair Angela Harvey, says it's a lot. The diversity programs, the fellowships, like writing programs, many of them started 20, 30 years ago. But where are all those writers, right? There's nowhere near the amount of people who participated who are actually in the industry right now. And I think that speaks to the tough skin you got to build and and it wears, you know, the death by a thousand paper cuts or 2000 or a million, who knows? I think at a certain point it gets um, unbearable for some.
0: Also makes me think of like the stories that we lost because of that.
1: 100%
0: so one of the things i'm thinking about also is like in order for the initiatives that ty is putting forth and other diversity inclusion focused media organizations are focused on for them to really make an impact like who needs to say yes like who do you need to you know who who needs to drink your particular brand of kool-aid and make permanent change
2: all the people at the top i mean like the big thing is trying to get new content going new content from underrepresented writers about underrepresented communities, the people who have the power to greenlight projects, they are the ultimate gatekeepers. They are the ultimate power. And unfortunately, again, we don't have the actual statistics, but if you look at pictures of all the heads of studios (laughs) and networks, it is very white. It's very male. And the executive ranks are starting to be diversified, but A lot of the people that have the power to green light are still very white, very male, but definitely, I mean, definitely very white. And so it's this constant push pull of when writers are in development of getting notes from a white executive who doesn't have the proper lens through which to view a story about an underrepresented community. So they're giving notes from their perspective and not realizing that they are shifting that story to a white perspective when it's not meant to be?
1: I think sometimes it's not just enough to say say yes, because I think after the Black Panthers, the Crazy Rich Asians, or any other kind of breakthrough hit that opens up the eyes of people with green light power who are trying to tap untapped markets and all that stuff, it's saying yes and also recognizing kind of the limited lens through which we are perceiving things. You know, I think something we've discovered in our report is that while there seems to be more hunger for, let's say, Black stories or Asian stories or queer stories, whatever it may be, they're looking for many of the same stories that they're familiar with. And that's limiting. And that's, you know, a result of bias and not necessarily conscious bias, right? I don't think people are maliciously doing this. It kind of goes back to the, we don't know what we don't know.
0: One of my most recent episodes was about Asian representation in media. And one comment that I thought about was like, how even when you have representation on screen what you're often looking at is a white person's view of what they think the Asian experience is as opposed to an actual presentation of that and like that's what you're being given even if you know some things may be accurate some things may be totally off base but it's still someone else's thought of who you are and not actually who you are, which also seems to fall into you getting notes from people who don't get the story that you're telling.
3: Yeah, everything is told through a white lens, a Western lens. So I think wrongly, a lot of higher ups assume, oh, if a white audience won't understand this, then it's not universal. People won't get this. People don't understand this. Mm -hmm. Just because you're showing them something they don't understand doesn't mean they won't get it, right? Like uh, people are universal, like being nuanced, fully complex people. That's what we all are. It's when we paint people as like these flat depictions, that's what's false. That's what's not universal. That's what I don't understand about people. That's not real. But if we just allow audiences to take things in how they should be portrayed, they will get it. The higher-ups are just so freaked out about doing anything new or anything they personally don't understand like you said before think about how many stories are lost yes even the stories that end up on screen are probably not the fullest best versions that those stories could have been and they're just never given the chance to succeed or not and the ones that are like black panther that's a black story and like that's a black superhero and plenty of audiences got it and understood it so just give shows a chance i think
2: and I think Adal Lim has spoken in, at, about this at length, about the, the struggle behind the scenes to make sure that the cultural specificity in Crazy Rich Asians was authentic. There was a lot of problems in making the film that people had to step in on. People had to basically put their foot down and say, no, this is not how an Asian person <laughs> would would act or react to the situation. <laughs> And when, when the people that are saying yes, like you were saying, Letitia, are not the people from those communities, they need to know when to step aside and say, okay, I understand that I don't have the right perspective. I don't have the right lens for this. So I'm gonna trust you on the cultural specificity. I'm just gonna give you notes on the dramatic arc or the character arc you figure out how it gets there.
0: Like it's okay to be confused or it's okay for you not to get it. I call it the myth of universality. Like nothing is truly universal. And it's okay for us to not get it. It was actually funny. I remember when Tan France and Hassan Minaj did their, did their thing and it was adorable. But I posted on Facebook and I was like, okay, I love this clip and their conversation. Apparently it's something needs to have. I know there are things about this that I don't understand. I know that there are things going on that they're saying that have levels that I don't get. And that's wonderful. But it takes a different perspective to think... Just because I don't get it doesn't mean it's threatening or offensive to me or anything like that. Like, it's okay not to get everything.
3: And you were still entertained. It was still useful to you. I think that's where it's like, yeah, you don't know what people want to take in or not. Just let us put it out there and people will respond.
2: I know for me, if somebody says they Googled something to understand what it was, then I take it as a win. Yeah. Yeah. If, what does Zoanne call it again, Barbara? Edutainment. It, exactly. I, I think if everybody in Hollywood actually viewed it as that, we would get so much better stories.
0: Well, that leads into my last questions. Um, so what are your hopes for your future, for the, the work that you're doing at tie and the future of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice in media in general? Wow. For Thai specifically, I hope the information we
3: get in the report one day starts to swing for the better about how underrepresented writers are treated. As for the fact sheets, uh, <laughs> they're never going to end. We could make a fact sheet about literally every community, every topic, and we have a running list of ones we want to put out for sure. But I just hope, again, like I said earlier, I, I just want people to care and to say, hold on, like, let's just stop. I, j- I just want people to be okay with saying s- stop. That's all I really want people to do is to just take the time that stories and representation deserve that hiring deserves that and staffing all of it just just be okay with saying yeah I don't know what I don't know and so let's take the time to figure it out that's all it is we're here to help other plenty of other people are here to help we all want to make it better
1: Yeah, I agree with everything that Barbara said. And I also think we would love for folks to take our recommendations. And part of the reason we do our report every year is because nobody else is. And, you know, we'll keep the pressure on if we have to. But we'd love if other folks would take on that work. And not just focus on writers, but looking at representation within the executive ranks and producers and the C-suites, all that stuff. And I think personal hope is that, that we we don't think about diversity, inclusion, equity as an afterthought or as something separate, right? We are all people, humans, and we're all super lucky to be in this industry and it's super fun, it's awesome, and that, it's, that it just becomes a natural part of the work that we want to tell the best stories and shed light on different aspects of humanity. For me,
2: it's very short. I hope that tie becomes obsolete.
3: But then when will we hang out, Shireen?
2: <laughs> plenty of other reasons to hang out. <laughs> that's
0: what Margarita Mondays are for. Exactly. Mine <laughs> Wednesdays. And, but, but that's just my theory, I'm just, I'm just saying. And for those of us who are not in, you know, the formal media ecosystems, fans and layman's, what can we do to support your work?
1: Uh, show up, speak up. You know, I think continue to engage, continue to be vocal. Money talks, right? This is still a business. And so I think the industry does care and and wants to appeal to audiences and make money. So as consumers, there's power there.
2: I would say, you know, like, definitely show up for like the big panthers and the crazy rich Asians, but also show up for the smaller stories too. consume inclusive content as much as you can to prove that it's not just for a niche audience Um, and talk about it on social media.
3: Yeah. I think engaging critically and what you consume and like, you can take those conversations. I do love that about fandoms is that it exists so much beyond what's on screen and you can take what's on screen and make it better you can take what's on screen and, and challenge it. You can take what's on screen and teach other people about it. You know, like I'm sitting there watching TV with my mom. Something comes up. Oh, hey, actually, I don't think that's a good representation and here's why. Or she can ask, like you were saying, what does that mean? Let's talk about it. Let's let's look it up. Let's edutain ourselves. There are things, TV shows that I don't even watch that I'll just get into the, like, what is, what is Black Twitter saying about the show? Because while that's not a conversation for me, a white person to weigh in on, I can learn so much about do they think this is good representation or not? And here's why they think that. And you know, black people aren't a monolith. So there's going to be a variety of opinions on that, but it helps educate me on the stories I'm telling. And that's me as an audience member. That's not me as a writer, but I can take that then and go back into the writer's rooms and sort of adjust my thinking or maybe help support another writer who's trying to pitch something. So just be critical. We all have like our problematic faves or whatever you want to call it. We can still enjoy those things because let's face it, we don't all have a lot of representation, so it's not going to be perfect. So enjoy them, but still engage critically with them. And like everyone's saying, speak up and and say something, but yeah, you are a part of the ecosystem. So you can change the culture, whether you're writing the media or not.
1: Yeah, I think feel free to check out our fact sheets, you know, WriteInclusion.org. check out the fact sheets where you can learn more about kind of representation. And I was listening to Barbara and train like it really reminded me that, you know, TV can change lives really directly. I remember I came out to my mom because we were watching something on TV and it was talking about queer stuff and coming out. And, you know, my mom asked and we, we had a conversation and it was like the crying and all that happened, but it was... A direct result of us sitting together on the couch together watching I think it was something on PBS at that time but yeah share those stories too about how TV has changed your life and what it means to you as well. Yeah.
0: I mean I, I have a ton of those stories that's just me loving seeing different people and different cultures and different different ways of living whether I'm watching PBS incessantly or if I'm watching the sci-fi channel and being that we as a world seem to be moving toward a sci-fi future I feel kind of well prepared and and I'm also like hey guys this was literally an episode on Bastard Galactica like 12 years ago so we shouldn't do that (laughs) (laughs) but yeah thanks for sharing and I know like I'm sharing a lot more about myself on this episode than I feel like I ever have so forgive me
3: no but Um, this is it you're part of this you're part of this all of us are a part of this This podcast is exactly what I'm talking about. You engage so beautifully with stuff you just like, or don't like, you know, that's great.
2: It all has to be a conversation. It's all a conversation. Yeah. Well, finally
0: i want to uh state since you have all shared just thank you for your time thank you for being on the podcast so if you are willing please let people know where they can find you on the social medias as well as the website for Thai. and also if you're a writer of any sort like novels short stories poems you should absolutely download their fact sheets just quick plug but barbara can you share your info first
3: Sure. Mine is at Babs Amiga that I'm only on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram or anything like that. Amiga, Spanish for friend. That's my last name. And then Ty itself is at Right Inclusion on Twitter and Instagram. And our website is rightinclusion.com.
2: org. Oh, no.
3: No. No. Is it? Yes.
0: God dang it. <laughs> Dot, dot org upon, upon <laughs> looking at the site that I have mm. pulled up on the Googles.
3: Why was I invited on this podcast? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Shereen.
2: <laughs> no worries. It's the Pfizer shot kicking in.
0: <laughs> I hope. Shereen, what, what about your uh, social media? Where can people find you?
2: Um, just like Barb I am only on Twitter mine is why Shereen why not and so the first y is initial Y and the second y is the word why so why shereen why not?
1: And one of the benefits of having a super unique ethnic name is that my Twitter is at Towall, T-A-W-A-L, my name so that's been pretty cool although I lurk elsewhere but that's where I'm most active. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all for being part of this episode. I learned so much. I'm sure that, you know, listeners learned a lot as well. I'm so excited to support all the work that you're doing in Thai and your own individual shows. Thank you so much, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day. Be awesome. And uh,
2: yeah, let's keep on going. Thank you for having us. You